Welcome to PharmaTalk Radio Podcasts. This podcast is focused on Sanofi's new initiatives, firmly embedding patient experience, perspectives, and priorities from discovery through patient access from the 2022 Patients as Partners in Clinical Research Summit. For more information about the Patients as Partners in Clinical Research Summit, our editorial, podcasts, and webinars, please visit patientsaspartners.org. Thank you and enjoy the podcast. Hi, everyone. Um, I'm Vicki DiBiaso. I'm really proud and honored to be here today representing the Sanofi Patient-Informed Research and Development Model. I want to be able to share with you over the next 15 to 20 minutes our journey on how we've really evolved to truly integrate side-by-side in a spirit of partnership and co-development individuals who represent the patient communities for those diseases and indications that we strive to treat or hopefully even try to cure. So it's, it's, an exciting op- it's an exciting time in our industry and most certainly within Sanofi. We really feel this is our raison d'etre, it's our reason to be. Um, it, it, it fuels our passion and our desire and it just makes us better at what we do because we're working with the, pa- the patients and the carers and the representatives who understand the lived experience of many of these indications, if not, I should say, all of the indications that we're working on. So I'm sorry that I can't be with you. Um, I'm based in Paris. I really thought that I'd be able to travel internationally for the conference this year, but as we're just getting close to the end of the pandemic, not just yet. So thanks to Kate and the conference producers for allowing me to be here remotely. Just a quick disclaimer, the views and opinions are mine and not of Sanofi. The only exception I would say to that is certainly the passion and the conviction that we have for being patient-centric is something I can say is shared by all of Sanofi. Um, I want to set the, the stage a little bit around how we actually define what it is to be a patient-centered R&D organization. We've actually put a definition around it because we felt it was really important for all of us to understand what that meant. I think Well, I can say certainly for us, as we spoke to different people, being patient-centered or being patient-focused meant different things in terms of how they conducted their business. And we wanted to make sure that we all had the same understanding of what was expected of us in order to ensure that we really were committed to a truly patient-informed development organization. So patient centricity to us within R&D means that we are committed to intentionally listen to individuals who live with that disease or their caregivers or a very credible stakeholder such as representatives from advocacy organizations. And then from listening that we actually translate those insights into actions that help us develop meaningful healthcare solutions. And when I say meaningful, it's because the outcomes that we are able to elicit in our research, address what we hear as the true unmet needs of individuals living with those diseases. And that helps helps us provide solutions to them that ultimately improves their health-related quality of life. What you see in front of you is a schematic of all of the different points today 
where individuals from the patient community are sitting and working with our, our research and development teams to inform our decisions, to shape our strategy, to help us identify the right tactics and avenues and ways of developing new medicines. It starts in the discovery research right at that bench. Even thinking about if this molecule, if this new mechanism of action comes into a post-approval setting where people have access to it, will it have a side effect profile that's acceptable to individuals? Is the mode of administration, as an example, easy for people so that they can be compliant? Um, there's so many things that goes into understanding individuals as whole, whole people and applying that back into research. And I'll talk about that more specifically in a moment, but really happy and really proud to work in a company that starts listening and talking and engaging with individuals at the very earliest stages. As you can see, that transcends right through to post-approval and access our clinical trials. That's how we started uh, working with individuals from the patient communities to begin with. How do we make our clinical trials more relevant? How do we make them easier? How do we reduce the burden? How do we make sure people know that the trial is even out there? What support do they need to be able to participate? But our outcomes, what are the endpoints? Are they patient relevant? Do they address the questions that individuals, carers and healthcare professionals when they're having a discussion around treatment options, that the data we're producing answers their most pressing questions. Do the outcomes measures truly get at measuring the burden of disease so that our medications are differentiated for patients? What is the difference between taking a Sanofi product or another product based on the data that we're able to generate because we worked with individuals from that patient community early enough to understand how to design the research. How do we also think about the digital solutions? We're in a digital society. How do we bring studies to people at home more easily? We are also conscious of what, what's called the digital divide and we wanna make sure that the solutions we're bringing, not, they, they do not overburden in the attempt to simplify either the individuals in the study or the clinical trial site themselves. So you can see in front of you, this is a long list. I could, I could talk all day about each and every one of these elements, but it's simply to identify the fact that people living with diseases that we study play a role in every part of research. And that's why we like to think of it as more of a co-creation and a co-development of new medicine and healthcare solutions. I'm happy to say, and this is last year's data, but this goes back many, many years. We started this journey over 10 years ago. So no surprise that for several years, I can go back and say that 100% of our development programs are informed by people from the patient communities. All of our priority preclinical assets are also, and those programs are also informed. Last year alone, that translated to 57 unique programs. Because a program may have more than one indication, that equated to 67 indications and 156 new clinical trials. The information that we are listening to and then translating into actions is diverse. So I want to give a very heartfelt thank you to the more than 100 patient advocacy groups, that's what PEG stands for, more than 100 organizations 
across 33 different countries, worked with us, informed our, our decision-making, um, and again, just made us better at what we're doing. You can see the objectives around patient disease strategies, which I'll talk about in a moment. I've already mentioned some of the activities, um, how it makes our research and our formulation decisions easier and better within research. Clinical trial diversity and inclusion, critically important to us. I'll speak to that in a moment. But helping us understand what are some of those barriers and what are some of the things that we can co-create and co-develop with the patient communities together that enable a more diverse, a more overall inclusive research platform. Our methods, simple. We listen, we work with people who understand what it's like to live with that disease the most. And then we incorporate that into everything that we do. And the impact helps us prioritize what we believe to be the most patient relevant research programs and continue to accelerate and prioritize and fuel those to, to access. Looking, as I mentioned, the types of data and the outcomes measures that we put into our study designs and our evidence generation plans, thinking about it from the earliest stages, optimizing our studies, making sure recruitment and retention makes it overall inclusive. Our benefit risk, I'll talk, let me give you an example about what I mean by benefit risk. So we have a program right now where we see a temporary side effect profile during a very specific part of the treatment process. We traditionally may have assumed that people would not be willing to take this medication because of that transient moment of a side effect profile. And we're picking this up in the earliest stages of approval concept. And so now we're working with the patient communities on patient preference and other ways of you know, exit interviews, um, surveys to discuss what do those individuals who are experiencing that side effect really think about it? And what we're hearing is not really a big deal. Um, so we're at least informing our benefit risk for patients with them versus making assumptions around how we think people are interpreting it or asking it. We're not asking, we are asking surrogates like the physicians, but we're also asking the individuals themselves. We are also looking at how do we try to differentiate our label a little bit in our, in our publications and our data that we put out there. We know that individuals want to understand more about the medications they take. We saw that in the pandemic. People were asking more and more about, you know, what vaccine did you get as an example? Did you have this side effect? Well, the same for all of, all of the therapeutics that we develop, making sure that when we have a label, that those labels answer the questions around what's important to people so that it's there literally in black and white for them. And if we can save time and we can save costs, we can develop more medications, we can do it faster, we can get it to those who are waiting. And that is something that we hear all the time, that people are waiting for us to be faster at the development of cures and new and better treatment options. And so that is at the mainstay of a shared co-priority of both the patients that work with us and ourselves. Furthermore, I am happy to say that as a company, we take such a committed approach to this that we have many corporate KPIs that are based on delivering patient-informed programs and it it goes right down to saying that a hundred percent of our phase two and three studies as an example will have a remote capability 
built into all of the clinical trials because we know it's important to bring the research to where people are. We put a percentage, 100% as an example, phase three studies will be informed. 100% of our clinical trials will have a diversity and inclusion plan. And those are part of our corporate KPIs because it's all of us at the company that really embody and make this a priority. So how we work at share patient, um, how, how we integrate patient priorities into our program. Well, it's relatively simple. We collaborate with patient organizations. And it's important to, to note that for many years, while we worked very closely, I can say as the head of the department that we weren't doing all we could to make it a, you know, a long-term vision collaboration. And that's what we're working on now. How do we, how do we jointly build meaningful with bi-directional opportunities and meaning, meaningful uh, shared priorities and co-development opportunities with select organizations around the world who want to work with us in this manner. But we have a horizon. We have a vision of where we want to go. An example of that right now is we know that in many indications, the outcomes measures that are available don't adequately pick up on the true burden of disease. So in some of those indications, we're working with patient organizations to help us identify what does the true burden of disease really look like? How do we measure it? And then how do we validate it and get it into research programs? This takes time, but we're also committed to working together over the horizon. Um, and so th this is why where we really want to build and where we are building and have built some of our collaborations today beyond traditional interactions within R&D. How we work is, is really driven by a patient disease area strategy. So this is the gathering of that evidence and really putting that definition that I spoke about into practice. It starts, as I said, in the discovery stage. And an example of what this looks like now, you can see the examples. This is just a subset of the information that our research teams in the lab are taking into consideration when they're developing a new molecule. Furthermore, we're working with patient organizations to develop what we call the playbooks so that the information within these bullets and others really reflect from their viewpoint what do they want researchers to understand? When it comes to formulation and how we administer medications, with this disease, please take into mind that it's not just the disease, but there's other physical challenges that may go with it. So develop something so that the packaging is easy. Um, that's just an example. So really starting early. Again, individuals as whole people. It then transforms as it comes over into development the disease area strategies. And before we move into proof of concept, now all of our programs have a validated patient-focused disease area strategy that looks, at the, in, that looks at the multiple journeys that individuals may take within their healthcare systems. What are their needs? What are their expectations from a healthcare op option, like a new medication on the market? How do we make sure that we're addressing those considerations around diversity and inclusion as well? We then do a, a gap analysis that gets built into our evidence generation, our clinical development plans, many, 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 many other considerations that help us get a product to market. And then the output should be evidenced 
in that drug program. And it, as I said, right through to the data that we're generating, right through showing, and I can see an error, sorry, a spelling error in the clinical trial and diversity, my apologies. Um, but really, like I said, all elements of what we do. This is what it looks like in terms of just kind of the swim lane outline starting early. You can see that by the time we go into phase two, the patient input and every single one of these studies within these programs have already helped us establish that development plan, that evidence generation. It's also helping us understand what is our stakeholder engagement? What is it that the patient communities want and need to know from a scientific perspective as they're helping us develop the new medication? We know that people are looking to find out what's going on in research. Where are we? What have we learned? And this is not a promotional exchange. This is a scientific exchange with, with individuals within those advocacy organizations who have a medical and a scientific background. I should say it only is possible where legally allowed because in so many countries around the world, unfortunately, um, we're not able to share that um, out of you know, promotional uh, concerns. But what I wanna stress is that there's an, a commitment to transparency. And that transparency even goes to the patient level at the end of the study where, again, going back to KBIs, 100% of our clinical trials do have lay language summaries. We're legally allowable. And we do um, have those on um, our Sanofi studies and our Sanofi.com website for anybody who's interested in learning about what came of that study. And obviously, individuals who participated deserve to know what came from the research that they helped generate. We are all in when it comes to clinical trial diversity and inclusion. We have a year-on-year -year commitment to increase the number of studies that meet their diversity targets. 100% of our programs have established diversity targets. This year, it is a corporate goal. 100% of our clinical trials will have a, a diversity and inclusion plan in place. So the impact, as you can see, really understanding what's important. What are the true priorities and how do we build those into the work that we do? We wanna deliver healthcare solutions that really address the most pressing needs of the patient community, as well as those of their caregivers from the start. Build that in upfront, we are informed. We wanna do it in a, a spirit of co-collaboration, co-development in many, many, many ways. The data generation beyond traditional safety and efficacy, but those points around perhaps tolerability, important to having quality of life when you're on a treatment. So we build that in. Clinical trials are diverse and representative. That innovation, we have a large clinical innovation component here called Act for Patients making sure that that innovation really makes it easier for people to participate. Could be the development of wearables so that the data are collected simultaneously without any additional burden. I mentioned earlier a commitment to remote and digitally enabled at-home trial opportunities. Um, and that just makes us better, faster, more efficient at what we do on behalf of those patient communities. And May is coming around the corner. Um, May 20th is International Clinical Trial Day. I just want to say that for all of us that are at this conference, it's an opportunity for us around the world to hold hands and really stand up and say thank you to everybody who participates in research. We were proud to be a sponsor of many activities last year. We will be again this year. Um, but yes, uh, Clin International Clinical Trial Day 
if you're from an advocacy organization, a patient organization, a trial site, you know, a sponsor, um, I just put it out there. Think about how can you create some momentum internally and externally, just so people become aware of why research is important, but most importantly, just so we can say thank you to everybody who's participated and made it possible. So I want to thank you all for listening. I want to thank again the conference organizers allowing me to participate remotely. Um, I hope we have a great conference and I hope to see you next year. We hope you enjoyed the podcast. For more information about the Patients as Partners Summit, our editorial, podcasts, and webinars, please visit patientsaspartners.org. Thank you.